you can learn a lot from a movie. That's why we're spending August talking about them. Because you see, great movies aren't great because they're fun. Great movies are great because of their storytelling. They're great because of their characters. But really, they're great because they share timeless truths that resonate with our heart and soul. That's why you can learn a lot from a movie. And that's what we've been doing lately. So, so a couple weeks ago, from Avengers Endgame, we learned that we are still worthy of God's love, despite our failures, despite our sin, despite our disobedience. If Thor could still wield Mjolnir, despite being overweight and depressed, we could still receive God's love. And then last week, from Captain Marvel, we learned the idea of spiritual grit. We learned what it could take to be a Christian for a lifetime, not just for a season. And then this week, we're going to talk about Toy Story 4. And this is a great, once again, Pixar just hit it out of the park with one of their brilliant animation stories. It's fun, it's heartwarming, and, and it hits on some pretty deep truths. Well, let's watch the trailer. Now, before we, before we go any further, can we just agree on a few things? This guy is awesome. These guys are super creepy. And these guys totally need their own movie. I would watch the heck out of that thing. So one more thing I'll say here, since this is a bit of a newer movie, today is a spoiler-free zone. Okay? I, I won't spoil anything in case you haven't seen it yet. You definitely want to go out and see it. Um, so there you go. Spoiler-free zone today. So the Toy Story movies, part of what have made these so endearing and such amazing stories is these, these movies have always asked a similar question. Why are we here? They ask that every single movie. Why are we here? Toys ask themselves that question over and over again. And there is the same answer, and it usually comes from Woody. It's the same answer every time. To belong to a child. To love them and bring them happiness. That's the purpose of a toy. And each, each movie that comes has a different twist on how do, how do you live that? How do you belong to a child? What happens, what happens if Andy goes off to college? You have a new child, Bonnie, and she just leaves you in the closet for other toys. What happens? And so, but that's a brilliant question, is why are we here? See, and so this, but this movie, see Toy Story 4, it tackles this question even deeper with the introduction of this guy, Forky. Now, as you heard in the trailer, Forky was a brand new toy that, that Bonnie made in her first day of kindergarten. And Forky here, at that, during this movie, is Bonnie's favorite toy. And, and so, because I've been having a little fun with Forky, and he's in your bulletin as well, if you haven't seen some of our Forky pictures this week, check that out. Um, and, and he freaks out 
because he, all of his parts were originally just in the trash. Woody grabbed them, dumped them on a table, and Bonnie, as, as the trailer said, made a new friend. <laughs> and all of a sudden, Forky has sentience. And he freaks out over the question, why am I here? And he asks that point blank explicitly. Why am I here? And he doesn't understand it. So that creates some great comical moments in the first act of the movie there. Um, and throughout the movie, Woody helps Forky understand why he exists. And, and, and it's the same answer all along. To belong to a kid, in this case, little Bonnie. To, to love them, to love Bonnie, and to bring Bonnie happiness. And once Forky gets that, he understands. And then he's like, I have to get back to Bonnie. And, and, so, and then the story continues there. But Forky had to understand, why am I here? So, you know, that was a difficult question for Forky. And the truth is, it's a difficult question for us. Because every one of us asks this question in one way or another. In fact, it could very well be the question of all existence. Why am I here? And everyone faces this question, from the farmer to the factory worker. And everyone has to think of it, either intentionally or unintentionally, consciously or subconsciously. It's a part of all of us. Why am I here? And see, there are a lot of different ways you can answer this question. So there's the mystical approach. The mystical approach says, look inside yourself. Look within. There you'll find your purpose in life. Or there's maybe the self-help approach. The self-help approach says, you've got to come up with your purpose. It's for you to decide. Follow your dreams. Believe in yourself. Never give up. There's another view that we could take a materialistic approach. That purpose is measured by what it will get us in terms of money, homes, cars, shoes, fishing poles, whatever you get. And that's how you measure purpose. Or there's another, there's the passion approach. Whatever it is you are passionate about, that's God's purpose for you. That's your purpose. Run after it. Never give up on your passion. Continue. Go for it. Because that's what you're made for. You know, there's, there's another approach. If none of these are resonating with you, there's another approach. That's just the denial approach. These are the people who don't bother asking the question. They just ignore it. Go on with life. And implicitly what happens is the purpose of life becomes to get through whatever life throws at you. And that's the purpose in life. Well, there's a problem with all of these purposes. There's one fundamental problem. They don't work. None of these really work to discover your purpose. Your purpose cannot be found in yourself or by yourself. 
Rick Warren, pastor of Salvac Church and author of the, the mega successful, um, The Purpose Driven Life, famously begins his book with this one line. It's not about you. I say, I think that's the mistake most of us make. We want our purpose to be about us. But our purpose is not about us. He continues on like this. The purpose of your life is far greater than your personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. You must begin with God. So, if we have to start with God, then let's start with possibly one of the most famous Christian statements on the purpose of humanity. And it comes out of something called the Westminster Shorter Catechism. So, how many of you did catechism as, as a tween, young child? Did anybody do catechism? My wife did. Okay, there you go. You are the only one in the room. Okay? I did not. So, for the rest of us, <laughs> for the rest of us non-catechized people, let me explain what catechism is. So, catechism is kind of like a theology class. It's a basic doctrine class that churches will teach often to, to uh, young teenagers, uh, old kids, tweens, kind of that age. And, and it's a doctrine class to help them transition from just being a kid, kind of part of their parents' faith, but to really own and understand their own faith. And it's, it's used by Catholics and Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists and many more denominations. Um, and so the, this particular catechism, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, while it's the second most popular, most common catechism, it actually has the single most well-known line of any catechism. Because it begins with the very first question, and it's this. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And if you did catechism as a kid, you could probably still recite that. I know my wife could. And does quite regularly. No. So, but now, so some of the, some of these, now some of you look at this and be like, um, what about me? I'm a woman. Okay. If this were written today, it might say something like, what is the chief man of every, what is the chief uh, purpose, oh, the chief end of man and every woman, every man and every woman, to glorify God and enjoy him. Now, this exact phrase does not appear anywhere in the Bible. It's not there, this exact phrase. But this idea is all throughout Scripture. It is everywhere. Calls to glorify God. Calls to enjoy Him. Commands and exhortations and admonitions, all those good Bible words that tell us what to do. It's all over the Bible. So here, here are just a few examples of some verses that talk about this. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Whatever you do, that's pretty much anything you do. Do it for the glory of God. Or Romans, out of Romans 11, 36. From him and through him and for him, all things are made. That includes us. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Think of that. From him we are made. Through him we are made. For him we are made. To him be the glory forever. Or one more, if we go back to the Old Testament out of Isaiah 43. Listen to this. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is God speaking to the Israelites. Whom I created for my glory. Let's see. All the sons, all the daughters, Everyone in between, all created for God's glory. The Bible is literally full of commands to glorify God. That's what makes this statement out of the Catechism so powerful. It's clear. It's simple. It's biblical. Ten-year-olds memorize this. I've heard Catechisms down as young as like four-year-olds. What is the chief end of man and women? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. But there is one big problem. There's one itsy-bitsy problem with this. What does it mean to glorify God? That's one of those words you hear around churches. We use it all the time. We sing it. We read it. We talk about it. It's, it's like one of those words that everyone uses, but no one really knows what it really means. It's kind of like Nike's famous, just do it. Okay? What does that really mean? Go for a run, climb a mountain. What if I just want to sit on the couch and binge watch The Office while eating Flaming Hot Nachos? <laughs> Can I do that? <laughs> Can I just do that? Well, the term glorify God is kind of confusing like that, just without the regret the next morning. So we have to understand, we have to break this term down to get into something that we can wrap our heads around. What does it mean to glorify God? So for this, we're going to turn to the Old Testament, and we're going to turn to one of the best passages that describe what glorifying God looks like. So it's out of the book of 1 Chronicles. So 1 Chronicles, a big part of it, tells the story of King David. He was Israel's greatest king, King David. And the Israelites had just captured Jerusalem. They had just moved into the city. And they set up a little city, a section called the City of David. And they had this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. If you're not sure what that looks like, and you look at it and be like, I recognize it. Yes, Indiana Jones. Okay, that's the Ark of the Covenant from the first Indiana Jones movie. And that's what it was all about. Um, and so the Ark, the Ark was, was Israel's most precious, most prized, most holy possession, was the Ark. 
it literally represented God's presence. So they, they just took over Jerusalem, and they were kind of moving. It was moving in day. And then they were taking in the ark. You know, like you unload all the boxes out of the truck or the camels and stuff, all the boring stuff, and then the good stuff. It's tough time to bring in your 80-inch flat-screen TV. Oh, no. For them, it was the ark. So they take in this ark, and they turn it into a worship celebration as it should be. Because here is God's presence entering into the city that God promised them years and years and years years ago. So that's the context of what was going on here. It was turning into a big celebration. And David, who was a king, and he was also a songwriter and a poet, he composed some lyrics. And we don't know if he sang this, um, rapped it, just spoke it, I don't know. Okay? But here's, here are a couple lines from this lyric poetry that he wrote. And it goes like this. Oh, nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his presence. Worship the Lord in all his holy splendor. That was part of what David was singing and commanding to the Israelites' people, was recognize the Lord. This is a great picture of what it looks like to glorify God. It, it was great for the Israelites, and it's great for you and me. Fundamentally, glorifying God is recognizing or acknowledging God for who he is. It's recognizing God, who God is. And especially, it's recognizing God's attributes. What does he say about himself? It's recognizing what God has done in the past, recognizing what God is doing today and what God will do in the future. It's recognizing God and especially what he says about himself. And then David continues and gives three concrete ways, the Israelites and us, that we can glorify God. He says, you can bring your offering. You can come into his presence. And you can worship the Lord. All of those are ways we can glorify God. See, glorifying God isn't just thinking about God's greatness. That's part of it, though. Glorifying God is about doing things that recognize God's greatness. So how do we do some of these things? Well, bringing your offerings. Bringing your offering recognizes that God is trustworthy and he is caring. So we can trust him that if we give money to his work, he will take care of us because we are his, because he is trustworthy. Or coming into his presence. Coming into his presence recognizes that God is personal and that Jesus Christ died so that we could come into God's presence. 
Because without Jesus Christ dying for our sins, our sins would prevent us from coming into God's presence. But because of Jesus, because God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ could die for us. Take our sins on him so that we could come into God's presence. That's glorifying God. That's recognizing God. And then worshiping the Lord recognizes that he deserves our honor. He deserves our praise. If we go to a restaurant that's awesome, maybe we'll jump on Yelp and give them a good review. We, we just recognized and honored them. If you, someone posts a funny meme and you like it, and you click ha ha ha, or hey, smiley face, or heart, you just recognized that it was a funny meme. We do this all the time. But with God, worshiping, the way we, we sing songs, we pray prayers to God, those are all ways that we recognize that he is worth our worship. He is worth our glory and our honor. Here's a way that pastor and theologian John Piper put it. Glorifying means feeling and thinking and acting in ways that reflect God's attributes, that make much of God, and that give evidence of his supreme greatness. I love this definition. because I, I love the phrase, to make much of God. Now notice it's not saying God is really big in your life. God is really important in your life. No. It's, me, it's that our life me, recognizes that God is really big. That our thoughts recognize that God is really good. That our actions recognize that God is really loving. And I love that. So let me ask you. Does your life make much of God? When people look at you, do they see a big God or a small God? Do your feelings give evidence to God's greatness? Or do your feelings give evidence of however you're feeling in the moment? All the highs and all the lows. Do your actions make much of God? This is how you can live out your purpose in life. And you see, here's, here's the thing about purpose, what it looks like to make much of God. Every other purpose we have, and we, it's okay to have more purposes, Every other purpose we have falls under this one. Some of you have a calling to fight for justice. That falls under your calling to glorify God. Some of you have a calling to be a great present father or mother. 
that falls under your calling to glorify God. I have a calling to pastor a church, to bring hope, healing, and growth to second and third gen mall. That falls under my calling to glorify God. We can have other callings. Don't for a moment think that your passions and, and what you, the things you're doing and you're fighting for, those are bad. No. Those are often God-ordained, God-blessed callings on your life. But all of it falls beneath your primary purpose, your primary calling. The chief end of every man and every woman is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the best thing is when we're doing these other purposes well, and our hearts are geared toward God, guess what? We end up glorifying God. But when we do these for our own reasons, we do, we do these to feed our egos or feed our insecurities, we're not glorifying God, we're glorifying ourselves. The chief end of every man and every woman is to glorify God and enjoy Him so that's one of the things I love about the Toy Story movies. Is they make much of children. If you listen to any speech that Woody gives in any of the movies, he makes much of children. I love how big they see children. I love how important they see their role, the toys see their role with children. It is the most important thing right now. We have to get Forky back to Bonnie. That's how important Bonnie is. That's how important Andy was. The toys that I love, and that's, these movies do such a phenomenal job of making much out of kids and toys. And over and over again, the toys' number one responsibility is to live out their purpose to belong to a child, to love them, and to bring them happiness. See, and that's what's so hard for Woody about Forky, is Forky didn't understand that. He didn't get it, and it just drove, it got Woody all crazy, and his arms went flapping all over the place, just like Woody does. But Forky didn't understand it. See, Forky was born from the trash, and he loved the trash. He wanted to go back into the trash because the trash was comfortable. The trash was what he loved. And the moment in the movie, and this is early on, so I'm not giving anything away, but the moment in the movie when it changes is Woody helps him see that what he loves about the trash is what Bonnie loves about him. See, Forky was making much of trash. He didn't realize he was supposed to make much of Bonnie. He, he, he didn't know that his purpose as now a sentient little toy was to belong to a child, to love them, and to bring them happiness. And you know, it's the same with us and God. 
You want to know another way to explain what it means to glorify God? To belong to God. To love Him. And to bring Him happiness. So let me ask, do you belong to God? I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about calling yourself a Christian. Do you belong to God? Are you his? Do you love God? Do you love God? Do your feelings and your thoughts and your actions demonstrate your love for God? Or are they just words? Or do they really demonstrate that you really love yourself? Or you love your family, and that's not a bad thing. Or you love your job, again, not a bad thing. But do they show, do they recognize that you love God? And then lastly, do you bring God happiness? Do you bring God happiness? When he looks at your life, when he looks at your decisions, when he looks at your relationships, when he looks at your fights, when he looks at your failures, and how you respond to them, does that make him happy? Or does it make him sad? Your disobedience, your selfishness, your poor decisions. You bring God happiness. And when we glorify God, that brings him happiness. We enjoy him, and he has brought joy because of us. So, don't be like Forky. At least first part Forky. Forky loved his trash, loved what he loved. He didn't have a picture of a world beyond himself and his trash. He loved his trash. It'd be like us loving dirt more than God. So don't be like first act Forky. Be like second act Forky, who finally got it. And maybe today God is clicking it in your mind. What does it mean to glorify him, to belong to God, to love God, and to bring God happiness? That's what it means for us to glorify God. And that's how you live out your primary purpose in life. God, we recognize you today. You are great. You are beyond us. You are so much more than us. Thank you for Jesus, for giving us even a snapshot of who you are. God, today we recognize that you are the greatest thing that is worth our honor and our praise. There are good things in life, but there is no other great thing. God, we recognize that you don't need us. We recognize that you love us. We recognize your supreme majesty over this world. And we recognize you created it.
and put us here to take care of it. God, we recognize that your heart breaks for the outcasts, for the rejected, for those that society puts aside. Let our heart break for those as well. God, we recognize you for all you have said about yourself. We recognize we glorify you. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, and even this prayer gives glory to you because we believe you hear prayers. Amen.